For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Jackson State Division of Athletics announced that the 2021 baseball season tickets are on sale. Fans can expect to see a full slate of SWAT rivals in 2021 and intriguing non-conference games at Bob Braddy Field. For more information or to purchase season tickets, visit the JSU ticket office at Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium, call 601-979-2420, or go online at Ticketmaster. The ticket office on campus is closed. Baseball season tickets, general admission, $50. Single game, $5. And kids get in for $3. Go Tigers! Tiger fans, welcome to episode 121 of the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty JSU Tigers. I am the Corey C. Be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast to be notified of every new episode. Apple Podcast users, rate and review the show and everyone. Follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Instagram and Twitter. It all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. Hosting today's show is Charles Bishop. Welcome to a, another episode of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. And first and foremost, let me start by thanking all of our listeners and subscribers who tune in to listen to these episodes of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club to get their slice of Jackson State sports, news, history, and even a little bit of opinion. And, and as we always say, it, it all helps the cause, which is the I love. You know, Jackson State isn't short on great coaches who have brought the school wins and titles. Uh, legends, the late, great W.C. Gordon, the late John Merritt, and the late, great Paul Covington in basketball. This is another episode where we bring to you a living legend. Our guest is the foundation of Jackson State baseball. His time as a skipper of the Jackson State baseball team, he won 824 games, 12 conference championships, uh, he also was the Tigers athletic director. He's in numerous Hall of Fames. He's in the Jackson State Sports Hall of Fame in 1985. 2003, he became the first African-American to enter the Baseball Coaches of America Hall of Fame. And he was honored in 2016 uh, as he was added to the National College Baseball Hall of Fame, becoming just the second SWAT coach to receive that honor. Ladies and gentlemen, let's please welcome to Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club, Coach Robert. Bob Brady. Hey, thank you. Thank you so, so much, Chuck. It's my pleasure, and thank you for letting me share my opinion and uh, as one of the great, uh, one of the, the, the Tigers blue and white. You know, I, we all bleed blue and white, and, and also merged to that university and to the people that extended uh, uh, the hand to us, and especially to me and my family uh, by allowing me to become the first head baseball coach 
in Jackson State University baseball history. Wow. And, and you know, Coach, when I was doing my research uh, to, to interview you, I, I, I knew you were an all-conference pitcher, uh, 1962-63, but I didn't know Joe Gilliam was, was the baseball coach at the time. <laughs> hey, Joe Gilliam probably impacted my life as a, as a person, a coach, other than my dad and a few other people. Uh, Joe Gilliam had a tremendous impact, impact on my life, not only mine, but guys who that played for him uh, back in the in the early 60s. Uh, he came to Jackson State, I believe it was uh, probably in 1962 or uh, something like that uh, when I was a, a sophomore. And he was a football coach and he was a real char- sergeant. I, I won't say that he knew a lot about baseball, but as far as uh, being a disciplinarian, getting the most out of an individual and shaping a person's history into uh, young men and becoming men of the future, he he, he had a tr- an outstanding impact on my life. Joe Gillian and, of course, he had his sons and daughters, his whole family there, uh, a great part of the uh, of my history no also. About it. That, is, that is phenomenal. Uh, just listen. And I just can't imagine uh, Roy Curry, Willie Richardson, yourself all on campus, you know, all these legends at the same time. <laughs> oh, man, it seemed like it was just the other day that we had the barracks there. Uh, you know, of course, you had Willie, you had uh, Vernon yeah. Biggs, and you had all those guys that that that, 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 that played football there. And you had a lot of uh, athletes that played double sports. They played not only football, but uh, Willie was a great mm-hmm. golfer. Uh, and, uh, and, and and the athlete was more than just a one-sport athlete in those days. If you could play both sports or start in both sports, uh, you were able to participate. So that goes back to 1962 uh, when I was a, a sophomore. And, of course, as you said, I made an all-conference as a pitcher, but my claim to fame is that uh, they put me in the wrong position. <laughs> Where did they have you, Coach? I, I, always, I always felt that I was a better position mm-hmm. player, that, and, and I just was a player that was was able to play more than one position because when Coach Gillian scouted me, he scouted me, I was a shortstop for the – for the Homestead grade, the old uh, Homestead grade that was playing baseball in Jackson, uh, Mississippi. I was uh, one of a few younger persons that was playing with that team, and he came out there, and somebody told him that I could pitch. You know, they were looking for pitchers on the on the, on the on the staff, and he signed me, and somebody told him, they said, one of your best ball players is, is, is Bob Braddon, who plays shortstop in the outfield for you, because – I started as an outfielder my freshman year at Jackson State and earned a scholarship uh, uh, that year. So uh, uh, by the mere fact that I was able to pitch, and, 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 and I'm pretty successful. Like I said, I made all-conference. And, 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 and my sophomore year, uh, you know, I, I made Pittsburgh Curry uh, on my mission, All-American as a pitcher. I averaged uh, – Something like nine, almost ten strikeouts a game, and I remember striking out sixteen batters in a game. And and the mere fact that I could throw strikes and had a had a, had a, had a pretty good arm, it, it, and uh, it worked out well for me. So uh, I, I'm not complaining about being a pitcher, but uh, I still think I was a better position player. You know, I, I started off uh, the the show and mentioned 
you know, <laughs> this is, you know, just mind-boggling, 824 wins, 12 conference championships. But when, you know, Coach, when you sit back and kind of look back at the breadth of your career, as extensive as it is, you know, what sticks out? What what things, do, you know, that you look back and you just kind of grin and smile at? <laughs> oh, I mean, there, there, there are several uh, situations there where it, uh, it, it very it make an impression on my mind. Uh, uh, certainly, the all the, the players that, that that I coached that that went on not only to pro ball, you know, Dave Clark, Mark Freeman, West Chamberlain, all those guys, uh, Kurt Forward, uh, but the guys that didn't go pro that and some of them probably should have. Uh, you just didn't get that opportunity and. And when they called back, and, and to this day, every fall, uh, Dave Clark and some of the baseball guys, we have a standard uh, date uh, in November after the baseball season because he's a, was third base coach with the uh, – well, he was the coach with the Detroit Tigers. I don't know where he's going back with them this year since they're going through some changes. But they, they were coming – they'll come into town, and they will play uh, two or three days of golf. And, and, and the most touching thing is that when we sit down for dinner or lunch uh, – they tell me the impact that I had on their lives. Did not knowing the impact that they had on my life, just to see them grow into productive young men, family men, husbands, and uh, fathers, and, and just doing a uh, doing a great job. But when they say that I had an impact on it, man, it's just un, it's unsurreal. That, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. they, they would give me that the opportunity to come back and be okay. a part of that. And the other, the other thing that happened is, is uh, that I remember quite often is that the opportunity to uh, to coach my son. I, I was able to coach my son baseball at, at uh, Jackson State. My daughter was a cheerleader. And I, I can't think of a better experience than, that could have been provided by uh, God by allowing me the opportunity to, to coach my son and to impact his life along with others and that those are those are those are the one of the greatest experiences that i've had not only the fact that you met uh, that i got a chance to meet some outstanding professional people like tom lasora who came here on several occasions yes. to, to raise funds frank robinson who came into town uh uh hank Aaron, uh, dusty baker those guys you know but uh, those are memories, and and you know, there's always somebody. I'm 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 a firm believer that there's always somebody who you can look back who was a wind beneath your wing that really prepare you to be that. And it goes back to my father, uh, who was uh, a farmer, a family of fourteen, uh, seven brothers and six sisters, and 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 when I look back on life, when I see that we were my dad was very, it took me a long time to figure out that he was a lot smarter than than, than mm. I was. And that common sense, if you got a, a degree in common sense, it's a lot of times it's better than a, a, degree, a PhD mm-hmm. uh, degree. And he had great common sense because what he would do on a, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon is that he would take his pickup truck and take all the boys that wanted to play in the community and we would go and we would play in a car pass or play baseball. And, and my oldest brother uh, helped form that team because he's, he's gone, bless his heart, was a career veteran. And those are, these, those are the things that, that, that I remember that 
we thought dad was allowing us to play ball because he just loved the game of baseball. But later on, we found out that it, it was his way of, of realizing that in order to keep these young men, and this is a message for us today too, is that in order to keep our young men and boys engaged and to become useful citizens and allow them to make decisions, is to keep them involved. So they kept uh, he kept us involved in these activities, baseball, every Saturday afternoon. He wouldn't let us play on Sunday for a while. But uh, I, I can visualize us being on the back of that pickup truck and and, and, and going places and, and just playing all across the, the, the county there and playing different people. In every community, uh, especially our black community, had a baseball team. Uh, and that's something that we have that we have lost altogether. And, and, and when we start talking about crime within our inner, inner city later on, that was, that's one of the points that I want to remember is that a lot of these things that have happened, that are happening in our city is because that we have just dropped the ball and we have just failed to engage our kids in recreation activities. And when I say us, I mean our inner city mayors, uh, our representatives, uh, our local people who, uh, you know, who would not keep up the recreational parks. Uh, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And sometimes I feel like I just, I fail to get my message across when it comes to, to the crime thing. But we'll talk about that later. But getting back to the impact on my life, you know, it, it goes back to restart with my dad. And uh, uh, when I think of the fact that we can't even find a girls' trash pit softball team in the state of Mississippi. And I don't know how to another place. And and, and, and and you know, this is this is a part of the growing up process. You gotta keep these young people involved. So it, 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 without that, I don't know where me and my brothers and a lot of other young men in the community uh, would have ended up. No doubt. You know, that's a, a very interesting point you, you bring up in terms of uh, the, the involvement, uh, just to uh, get you guys out there and, and, and be active and, and to have that sort of outlet, if you will. So, you know, that's a, that's a tremendous point that you bring up. And like you said, I, I'm going to get to that. Uh, before I get to that, you know, I, I, and I wanted to ask this question because this is uh, just a tremendous time of, of swag baseball. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, you know, <laughs> during your time, you know, Coach at Jackson State, Gosh, man, you had some epic weekends matching wits with other legends around the swag. Whether you're talking about, you know, Wilbur Ellis at Grammar, who, who has three swag titles, or, or Coach Rat McGowan at Alcorn, he got five. Rat McGowan and, and uh, yes, Tato sir. down there at Southern. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, those those were some experiences that, that wasn't always pleasant. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> You know, although most of the championship was won between uh, uh, when I started coaching between us, Southern, and, and few Gremlin. But before that, you go back to a, a coach named Emory Hines, who coached at yes, Southern sir. University. Uh, uh, and you had a guy named the president of Gremlin that was coaching at Gremlin. Waldo Emerson. And, and I, I can remember those guys. I can remember the coach from Southern. There was Coach Hines and Bob is another coach that he was yeah, Bob Lee, I believe. Field, I believe is uh, they've named yeah, yeah, Lee, yeah, yeah. They came to Jackson. They gave a clinic, and and, and here I was, you know, uh, uh, 
they, those people were willing to share, but all that faded out where we didn't have clinic for, for, our, for our community. But talking about the old rivalry, you know, rat, we weren't always friends, I tell you that. I, I have to be honest. We, we used to like, you just about had to bring out the National Guard when we played with them. Those were epic matchups, yeah. There was one place that I hated to go, and that was a hog corn. I used to, I used to hate to go there because at the time they were allowed all the coaches to hire their own mm. officials. So if you didn't win at your at your home game, then you just about wasn't going to win on on on, on right. the road. And I thought we did a better job of having good officials, of course, because Redkin said we had some bad ones also. But I, I just never will forget uh, playing down there. At, uh, on that field in, in, in Laura, Mississippi, and the football coaches, Coach Castle, would even stop football practice. And a lot, a lot of the football players would come over there and jump on top of our dugouts. So lost at our players. And if we had somebody, we had one guy on the team, you probably remember him, James Marsh. He's yes, deceased sir. now. One hell of a baseball player and football player, and he played pro ball for a while. But he batted over 500 as a baseball player, and uh, I, I think he would have had a future in the big leagues if he had decided to go that route. But you know, he's a great football player too. But I, I never forget that he was playing, and, and and the football player came out there and threw rocks at him, and and and, and then the umpire would. Hey, I'll tell you this story about Alcorn and Corrats not here here to defend it, but he it's a true story that we were leading them by 12 runs going into the eighth inning. And we lost uh, 13-12 going into the uh, in the later. And, uh, uh, our pitcher couldn't throw strikes, and and then uh, uh, the, the, when our guy hit the ball, we had the bases loaded, and it hit the foul and dust. You know, the truck, you know, truck at the mm -hmm. foul line. I mean, if the ball hit the truck, it's mm -hmm. a fair ball. And 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 and, and the umpire came out and said, "It's a foul. It's a foul ball." And I said, well, why is it a foul ball? He said, because the ball hit the truck. I said, I that's your guy, man, that knew it was a fair ball. So I, I sat down in the middle of the field. And, uh, of course, Rat, uh, the policeman had to come and get Rat because he, he thought I was showing disrespect for all corners and putting them in the mouth. But those were some times, and we had some great times. And, and, and I remember as a player at Jackson State that, uh, coach from Grambling, uh, President uh, Waldo Ralph Emerson, uh, he called him the Prez, and he has an outstanding player like uh, Tommy Agee played for the New York Mets. Cleon Jones, we played against them. Uh, and then Lou Brock played at Southern a year before I got there. Uh, there were just some tremendous ball players that came through uh, uh, through our conference, and, and now we just don't realize the importance of how important the black institutions are to keeping baseball alive. Major League Baseball wondering what's happening to our baseball players, but we're, we're looking at school, black schools, two things of, of, of cutting out baseball. I just read in the paper with Howard University mm -hmm. discontinuing baseball. Uh, Tennessee State discontinued baseball uh, 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 sometime, some, some, some time ago and I just don't. I just don't realize. I know. I, I, I think they realize the importance of keeping baseball involved. And then we hire. And I don't. Get, I don't have anything against coaches, but I think we need to hire people at our institutions that's going to go back into our community. 
teach our kids. When you look at uh, institutions like uh, now where you got Alabama State, you got four or five institutions, not only in, the, in our conference, but the SWAT conference, the hiring individual who has no intent of giving back to the black community. Mm. And it's not a precious thing, but it's that the, we need to have people that's going to get our community involved and, and go back into our community and teach our kids. Uh, and that's one thing that I, I don't quite understand uh, that we're doing. But so we're doing about as much to hurt ourselves as as anybody else. That's to the reason why we don't have more uh, blacks participating. But Coach Gremlin, Coach Gremlin, Coach uh, Roger Cato, Whippard Ellis, all those guys are great friends and great competitors, and it was a pleasure that we were able to go out there and compete. No doubt about it. And uh, there are a lot of things that I think that helped destroy not only college baseball, uh, but uh, black sports and football, uh, 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 and somewhat in basketball to this day. Is that, you know, at one time that we were competing, when we had Dennis Orkan board and those guys. Today, Clark, we were competing against the the uh, uh, the bigger schools, so to speak. Then they came up with different rules to change the to, to move the stick, as they say. They changed the rule in the middle of the game. First, they say that uh, they came out with the ACT score, which uh, uh, the athletes were competing with and passing, getting in school. And then they came up with the uh, Proposition Forty Eight. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Where a, a kid had to not only he had to pass so many core courses, and then they raised the ATC scores and the SAT scores to eighteen and twenty, and at the same time our school was integrating, and 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 because it was the law of the land, but then you can hardly find a counselor in our schools now to advise our black students, our black athletes. It was sort of a, it was sort of a double women. So we got to the place where we couldn't even get kids in school after the, the all can boards and those guys left because of the rules that we put on 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 within our school. Not that we can't couldn't compete, but the, the goalposts or the base the, the, the rules kept changing in the middle of the game. And then it's had where uh you had to go to a junior college. If you didn't have that seat that average then you can get into a four-year school, so you go to junior college. So we started sending kids to Utica Junior College, and uh, after they get there and get 24 hours, come back. So they changed that rule, and they say they had to graduate. Okay, then after you say you got to graduate, now they integrated the junior colleges. Now you don't have any black coaches. You don't have any black counselors. Man, it, it, the problem is so – it was impounded. So, but there is a way, like I say, and, 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 that we can we can compete, but we got to have our community to realize that it's not basketball and football that has destroyed blacks in baseball. Let me ask this question, and because you've seen sort of the evolution of uh, the black athlete um, migrate, if you will, from playing yeah. baseball yeah. to uh, basketball and football, and I wanted to ask this question in terms of a timeline. Uh, when do you think that migration uh, sort of happened? Because, and I'll take a look at it from this standpoint, when when uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they hit the NBA, and then, of course, Jordan uh, hits uh, uh, 
Chapel Hill, North, University of North Carolina, and then on to the NBA. I think I, I saw a gradual uh, migration of guys, you know, moving toward basketball and, and then uh, even more so towards football. Is there a timeline where you sit back and say, hmm, this is where it kind of started happening? Oh, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, and, and, and it really, really started when our athletes, when when I can remember when Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State and those people would not uh, accept black athletes, especially mm-hmm. football players. I can remember Johnny Vaught would send, he sent a quarterback to Michigan State because uh, they couldn't get him. And he, so he said he would send the black athletes up there, but so I, I think I think it was sort of like it started probably uh, let me put it this way in 1978 we had one of the greatest baseball teams that uh, that I've coached we we won something like 52 ball games and lost 12 and uh, we had some outstanding athletes and uh, but usually around in the 80s when when, when the NCAA came up with the uh, with these with the rules where the kids could not go to school, uh, could not get into your school unless they had a certain average. And by the mere fact that uh, we didn't have the resources to compete with those schools, you know, facilities-wise, you know, let's take facilities. We lose, we, we've lost out tremendously because of the lack of our, our facilities. If, and if you, if you, if you, and I think you know what I mean. If you go to Jack State now with Deion Sanders over there, which is Hopefully it's going to be well. Is that you find out that facility-wise, that we just couldn't compete. And then when the schools in the South start recruiting the black athletes, they got the cream of the crop. And therefore, uh, the ones that the, the diamond in the rough that we would usually get and just wait for them to develop. We we weren't even getting the diamond in the rough anymore. The diamond in the rough wasn't even getting a chance to to compete. So it got to the play where they couldn't even get into school, uh, 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 and because they couldn't pass the test. And and testing is, is is okay, but there have been a lot of great uh, professionals, a lot of lawyers that uh, came out of predominantly black schools uh, uh, that didn't that when they didn't have ACT tests. When teachers would really take pride in making sure that the students were and their parents was involved in the activity, all that kind of left with uh, kind of left with, with, with integration. So I think to the answer to your question, it started disintegrating when the black athletes they started getting the best black athletes to enroll at the University of Mississippi and the Mississippi States and the Alabamas and the Georgias. And, uh, and, 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 and we were not able to recruit those athletes anymore. Can you remember when in football that Jackson State had uh, 11 players drafted to the professional rank with Liam Barney, uh, Jacket Slater, and uh, uh, Robert Brazil, and all those guys? They, they, they had about 11 guys drafted in the, uh, in the pro. Nowadays, People say, well, why don't we get uh, athletes drafted from the predominant HBCU schools now? Because we don't get those athletes. And a lot of reasons, and one of the main reasons we don't get those athletes is because of resources. We don't have the facilities. Uh, we, 
whether it's basketball, uh, uh, and when the legislature that is predominantly white was approved funds for to build facilities, they did not give us the funds to build facilities that would compete with the predominantly white school. So if a kid got to the play where he was all American and you brought him to Jackson State where he has to live uh, uh, three to a room uh, or go to a old mess where he got his own room, he got his own computer. Uh, big difference. He can practice and go back and watch himself and practice. We HBCU schools didn't have that, so 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 we 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 we're fighting with with short arms, you know. You, you just uh, we we can't compete unless you have the funds. I'm hoping that that with Deion Sanders and other uh, the country and the mood that we're in now that 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 uh, that they want to do something for the HBCU schools that. We will get better facilities. We'll get first class weight rooms. Uh, we'll get a first class football facility, a baseball facility. Because baseball, hey, look at look at baseball in 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 in, in the country as a whole. It's thriving. And, and that, that actually leads me to this question here, uh, Coach. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. we're we're in twenty twenty, and personally, uh, I think one of the best baseball players in the major leagues right now is Mookie Betts. Uh, but, but you know, where are we in regards to the African-American athlete and the game of baseball? Um, and I guess I ask that question uh, in terms of does the game of baseball itself have enough cool factor, if you will, to, you know, kind of propel us forward going into 2021? You know, <laughs> baseball, if you really look at it, Chuck, baseball, you can play baseball probably lower. Sure. Than any other sport out there, no concussions, all that, and the injury rates, and, and all that. Uh, uh, let me say this: it's, it's sort of it's sort of twofold. It's sort of twofold is that you know studies have shown that when youth are, uh, are involved and organized in youth sports, that it indeed reduces crime. And now you got to the place now where. Uh, uh, the inner city schools don't even have the facilities and your predominantly white schools, well, you're not white anymore, but your predominantly school won't come and play in the city of Jackson because our facilities for baseball is dilapidated. They would not, they would not come. So uh, 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 my point is this. What I'm saying is that we have missed the boat. And I think that I, I, I know myself, I've done a poor job of of trying to explain to mayors and uh, city officials the importance of having an organized recreational program and that there is a correlation, there's a direct correlation between uh, uh, crime and uh, our kids being involved in recreational activities. So there's a correlation. I say it's time versus crime. Uh, there's more crime in our inner cities because there are less recreational activities for our kids. Uh, the city of Jackson has something like uh, uh, oh, 16,000 students. They have something like 12,000 students from uh, sixth through the 12th grade. Uh, they don't even have a, they have one park that they can possibly play baseball. They have no practice facilities. 
that, that they can call their own. They have no right to feel. So therefore, a lot of the kids are just are not participating. They even cutting out baseball in some of uh, some of school. So my point is, I, I think that we have to realize that if we got a good inner city recreational program, the most important time that you keep these kids involved is when they're out of school. Just think when, when you grew up and your older brothers and sisters grew up, just think about what y'all did when school was out in May or June. Uh, you had, uh, in the city of Jackson, you had Grove Park, you had Forest Hill Park. You had a park full of people that were participating in softball, the boys are playing baseball against each other from kids all over the city of Jackson. They knew each other because they were competing against each other. So, but now when the recreation departments became to the point where they were non-existent, now these kids resorted to the streets. A lot of them resorted to the street because this is where they was getting their respect from, that they were not getting their recognition. Uh, they were not enrolled in the boys club. Uh, the Boy Scouts were reduced, and you just, you, your representatives were not getting these kids involved. Mm. So the problem goes back to the fact that the studies are proven. I'm not talking off the top of my head, Chuck. Mm. Studies are proven that when kids are involved in recreation activities, that crime is actually reduced. And not only does it teach them to play, to be involved, now you flood the market. If you get 12,000 kids from sixth to 12th grade, I form, I, I, I got a league with, uh, uh, to, to get, a, get a league in Jackson where we got a, approved by the World Series people up in, uh, let's see, what's the name of the group? We have the World Series? I'm trying to think. Uh, 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 World Series, baseball, where they had a World Series every year. Oh, yeah, World Series. Yeah, Little League. There you go. Little League. I got a Little League charter. Forest Hill Park, who have, we have eight fields down there that the city does not keep up. Uh, now, it was once a thriving park when it was integrated. But as, 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 as the school become more segregated and people move out to the outer part of Jackson, the parks were not kept mm -hmm. up. That's a huge issue. But the money, not it couldn't have been. It's just that the priority there. We talk about hiring policemen, but we don't talk about the policemen getting involved with these local activities, getting these kids involved. Just think, 12,000 kids mm. in the city of Jackson, not to mention the surrounding area of Bolton and Edwards, those black kids are doing little or nothing. Now you do have a few people that are escaping. The superstars will always be be found. They're gonna find them in travel ball, but the diamond in the rough uh, is just not there. So my point is this: is that we gotta get involved in recreation activity because the recreation activity teach kids a lot. It, it teaches them to make decisions, uh, bring solidarity to your community. It builds up kids' self esteem. It builds up their character. And they get to know each other. So instead of fighting each other with guns, they'll fight each other on the baseball field trying to beat each other, beat each other's brains out there. So that's that's my take on what has happened to the lack of baseball players and what has happened to our 
why you don't see that many in, 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 in the big Tremendous leagues. Tremendous insight, Coach. I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, your perspective in regards to uh, where we are with regards to uh, African-American athletes and uh, the game of baseball. Because I think sometimes, you know, the, the, the question becomes, uh, is the culture of baseball uh, one in that, 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 that uh, does not uh, include uh, the African-American athlete in terms of, you know, expression and things of that nature. You know, baseball is a stoic game, but it's that's a tremendously cerebral game. But, you know, there, there's always questions in terms of, you know, how do we get the African-American athlete coming back to baseball? So I definitely appreciate, you know, your, your insight and perspective on, you know, where are we going with regards to uh, trying to, you know, build those numbers back up, if you will. Like I said, I, I, and I firm believe it. I firm, I firm believe it that, that you got to tie it in with. You just can't say that I'm going to train kids to to be a professional baseball player. I think we have to address the crime problem within our city, within our inner cities. And I think if you do the proper thing by addressing the crime problem, I think we will find the solution there. Sure. When I go out to, and, and people don't like hearing me say that. Don't don't like hearing me say this. Uh, when, when I go out to uh, the city of Pearl, uh, when I go out to the city of Brandon, when I go out to the city of Madison, uh, they have built new facilities. They got all kinds of baseball facilities for boys and girls. And once school is out, when you go out there, it is flooded with kids. You don't have enough. You can't. You, 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 you have so many teams that you can't hardly get them going there. But 90 percent of them you know who are playing it. They're not our kids because, you know, we, we, we a few of them go out there and play, but the majority of the vast number of our kids are out there in the streets. They are doing nothing. And I, my challenge is to our inner cities and to our uh, uh, elected officials is that we've got to change courses now. You got, you got to switch. You can't just keep talking about we need policemen. You know, we need policemen to go to these parks and meet these kids and say, hey, hey, I'm your policeman in this precinct. Uh, I'm your friend. I'm interested in your growth. But we don't have that. So the kids look at the police as being their enemy. So we have dropped the ball. We have dropped. And until we can address this thing from the, the crime standpoint, now we can get these kids involved in recreational activity. Think if you got. City of Jackson, if you got uh, 8,000 kids playing in the summer, and, and it, it's just not enough for them to play football and basketball during the school year, look at what our, what's happening to our kids once school is out. They are literally doing nothing. They're in the street with their phones, the computers, and the baseball parks are empty. So until we can, can, can address that, I can remember going back and how old are you, Chuck? Uh, I'm, I'm 47. Okay, you're 47. You grew up where? North Jackson. In North Jackson. So you know all about Grove, Grove Park. Park. Yes, sir. Definitely Grove Park. Grew up playing, you know, uh, Grove Park. Then North Jackson. Level Woods. You know, the, the travel circuit. Level Woods. Level Woods. Battlefield yes, Park. Yes, mm-hmm. You don't see that anymore. Last year, Grove Park had a problem having enough kids to have a lead. Hmm. You know, Forest Hill, we had eight baseball fields out there. We sent our registration. We had problem getting enough team 
to have a lead. These you talking about you know, six and seven year old, seventy eight year old, eighty nine year old, uh, 10, 11, right through thirteen. Right. right. You know, a few of them are playing football. They play football, but we can't put that on football. Mm. You know, you, you, you can put eleven people on a football team, but you can play baseball. Uh, this is a this is a this, you can keep more people involved. You can get more people involved in recreation activities than any other sport when school yes, is out. Yes, sir. Go to Pearl, go to Madison, so that and you see what's happening. Go to Jackson, nothing is happening. Then we wonder what happened to our kids. We have we have dropped the ball. We just don't we just don't get them engaged. Your dad got you involved. Mom got you involved. They cook for you. They cook. They cook hot dogs. Mm -hmm. We look forward to the weekend tournament. Uh, it was a, definitely a weekend. It was a, a, a whole weekend, you know, of baseball. You went from, from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> you get me started. I can't stop, man. But uh, uh, I, I really I really wish you would just gear in on this thing about the inner city and the lack of our kids involved in recreation activities. Well, yeah. And by the mere fact that our, our mayors and our councilmen do not push it. They push hiring policemen, and as soon as somebody gets killed, they want to have a prayer meeting on the, on the block. Mm. You know, stop the killing, but they don't ever talk about what we need to do to invest in our kids. We got to invest in our kids' lives at an early age. And my philosophy is this if you give a kid, a boy or a girl, a bat, a ball, and a place to play, and you won't find them going astray. That, that's the old age adjective. If you keep these kids involved, get them out there. As they grow up, they get a chance to make decisions. You encourage grandparents and parents to, to be a part of what they're doing. Uh, 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 they improve their self-esteem. Uh, it it, it brings the community together. And it forces the importance of working with the team, teamwork. That's something that builds character and they have developed life skills. No doubt about it. And coach, this, I, you know, we, we've we got to do a part two and a part three. This this is good stuff. We got, we got, we started rambling along. We sort of got away from Jackson State baseball, but uh, uh, i tell you what, uh, uh, I became the first baseball coach at Jackson State in 1973. First time, Coach Gordon was the, was the baseball was the baseball coach at the time? Before that, Bob Hill was the baseball mm -hmm. coach. But I was the first full-time baseball coach in the history of the school in 1973. And and, and 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 you know, you're talking about a guy that's glad to get out of the field and get out of the country and come under bright lights. You know, uh, uh, that was me. You know, so uh, it, it it was a pathway not only for my life. But for a lot of individuals who was able to go to school and participate in the baseball program, and then we won the championship our first year there in 1973. Mm -hmm. uh, we had guys like in '78, like All Ken Board, and uh, even came on. We had two first-round draft picks: Dave Clark, Earl Sanders. And then, as you said, there was a time when things start fizzling out. Yeah. We, we don't build facilities. Uh, baseball. We need to be a baseball field that now to have at least one sky box, have chair back seating so people can go and they can enjoy and bring their kids out. Uh, that's my challenge to 
to our community and to the inner city community. Coach, this has been phenomenal. I, I, I tell you, like I said, we, we're going to have to do this again, but uh, it has been just a pleasure having you on Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. Uh, like we said, a living legend, uh, the foundation of Jackson State Baseball and and Coach Omar Johnson, he has uh, taken the mantle, taken the baton, and he's won a couple of SWAC championships himself, kept Jackson State very relevant in terms of the SWAC play. Uh, but we just appreciate it for all that you've done, not just from a baseball standpoint, but also in uh, athletic administration as well. Uh, you are Jackson State through and through to the core and just appreciative that you were able to come and bring your knowledge and experience uh, to a new generation of Jackson State fans. So, <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. And, and, and let me say this. There's a lot that we have to do. And when I say we, I mean friends in the community of HBCU schools and even our graduates. There are a lot that we can do to make our schools better. And I say, so let's take football, for instance. You know, there is no reason why Jackson State shouldn't be able to sell 20,000 season tickets. Even if they sell it for, let's say if they sell it for $100, of course, you got boxes don't cost more mm -hmm. and all that. If you sold 20,000 season football tickets, that is $2 million. Now, uh, we can't wait to see how good the team going to be. We can't wait to see, uh, you know, what we like to do? I'm going to wait and get my ticket when they see how it's, well, you can't do that. You got to have the money in the mm -hmm. coffer. And not only Jackson State, but Alcorn and other HBCU schools. If you want your school to thrive, you need to invest in them. You, you need to pay your alumni dues. Uh, and like I say, if you if, if you sold twenty thousand seat ticket at a hundred dollar piece, then that's two million dollars. But it's not counting the box seats; it's gonna cost more. Now, if you did that, you don't have to play those money games. Then our guys want to get their brains beat out playing games that they know they can't win, that they can't compete with these these uh, uh, big-time athletes. And you can't get big-time athletes unless you have big-time mm -hmm. facilities. Uh, 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 even if you're Deion Sanders, you got to have facilities. you got to have a first-class weight room. But my thing to our HBCU friends and supporters, even your businesses, concentrate on selling your football season tickets, if you can do that, and even your basketball season ticket. If you sold 3,000 basketball season tickets, stop sitting around waiting for somebody to give you something. Mm. You know, pay your alumni due, buy season mm. tickets. Then if it don't work, then give right. them hell. <laughs> yes, sir. And I'm thinking as the oldest, I think I'm the oldest now surviving athletic coach of the era of my day. Uh, uh, we lost yes, Coach sir. Gordon. Uh, we lost Coach mm -hmm. Coverton. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, I'm in, I, I think I'm the oldest surviving coach at, 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 at coach at Jackson State. And I was athletic director for us, uh, you know, for a while there also. So I'm appealing to our supporters to go out and buy season tickets. Buy the season tickets so the money would yes, be in sir. the bank. I think you'll see a difference in our program. Well, I tell you what, this has been fun. Uh, we definitely, we, we have got to do this again, Coach. And I tell you what, uh, for Charles Bishop here with the 1400 Club, uh, this was a, a living legend. And Coach Robert Bob Brady, we thank you for coming on. And 
Until next time, we'll see you on the other side. And that'll do it for episode 121 of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. Thank you to all of our listeners. And again, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple Podcast listeners, rate and review the show. And everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Instagram and Twitter. I can't stress the importance of this enough. We're looking to do some big things with this platform to aid the athletics department. And it all starts with you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. And we'll be posting each episode on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. As always, thanks for your support. Go Tigers. Hashtag the I love. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.